When I was a kid, I remember having a time in my life where there was a terrible storm in my hometown. It was one of those nights where the house shook because the thunder was so loud, and you all know those storms. In Louisiana, we have a ton of them. And uh, I remember being absolutely terrified by that. I remember uh, waking up and going into my parents' room and noticing that both my mom and dad were fast asleep. Next day, I asked my folks, I'm like, how could you guys sleep through that? And my dad said, well, Jason doesn't scare me. I know that God's in control. This morning, I want to talk to us a little bit about how we can move from fear to faith. You know, fear is a motivation for a lot of us that we don't even recognize sometimes. In fact, a lot of people are motivated by fear. And if we aren't careful, fear will make us absolutely miserable and will destroy our lives. There's a lot of fear out right now in this particular situation in the United States. And I think we all recognize that. Probably a lot of us early on looked at this and said, oh, this is not really that big of a deal. It's just another little like flu-like bug. And as this thing has continued, we realize that not only is the disease a very dangerous disease, but there's going to be a lot of economic and other implications. I had a good friend stop by this morning and he, he said life after this is going to be very different than what life was like before this. And we all, we all have that sense. Probably all of us that are worshiping together this morning are, are looking at this and we're asking ourselves, what's next? What's going to go on now? And I want you to know this morning that you are not alone in that. Since the beginning of time, God's people have come to crossroads. They've taken the direction that God called them to go, and they've wondered, what's next? What's right around the corner? The Bible is full of stories of people that God called to do extraordinary things. A lot of people that were very unequipped for what God called them to do, but through the strength that God gave, they were able to accomplish amazing things for his glory. And so... If you guys would, let's just pause and and talk a little bit about fear and what fear does to us. And then we're going to talk about how we can move from fear to a place of faith. Because I hope that in the midst of this crisis, that, that the church and the Christians move from a place of reacting to a place of serving, of loving, of being God's hands and feet in a world that is looking for people to love and to care for them in this season of need. So I just put together a few things that I think fear does. The last month here at Forest Park, if you've been with us, you know we've been going through a sermon series talking about the effect that, that our minds have on what we do. And, and there's this passage of scripture in Proverbs 23. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The kinds of things that are going on in our mind ultimately become the things that we're doing. And so let's just talk a little bit about the things that we want to avoid because fear is a thief. Fear takes things from us without asking. And when we know that it's doing that, it's a lot easier for us to push back from fear and accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. 
And we're going to go to Exodus, the 14th chapter. If you know the story, you know exactly where we're at. It's at the time where Moses has brought the people of Israel out of the land of captivity in Egypt. They've just witnessed the 10 plagues. They've seen God work in amazing and mighty ways. And now they're heading out of the land of, of, of captivity toward the land of promise. But there's one obstacle that stands in their path. A great big sea. And right behind them, there's Pharaoh and 400 years of bondage that's chasing them. One of the first things that I want us to notice this morning is fear has the power to make us really skeptical. The children of Israel are out. They're free. They've been released, but they still don't believe. And sometimes I think that I'm like that with God. I know, that, I know that God is real. I know that God is in control. I know that God has everything handled, but there's a part of me deep down inside that's a little skeptical. Well, God, did, did you forget this detail? God, God what, what about this? God, do you realize, you, you know it, because we all do it, right? Exodus, the 14th chapter, verse 11. The children of Israel has, have seen that, in fact, Pharaoh is changed his mind and he's brought his armies and he's going to round up his slave labor force and drag them back to the place that they were before. They're pinned between an ocean of water, a mountain, and an army. This was their response. Exodus 14 and verse 11, they said, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? <laughs> they were sarcastic. They were kind of cutting because they were afraid. Truth is, is that they had just seen God do things that people still like to argue over. <laughs> they had seen him turn water into wine. They had seen fleas and flies. They had watched cattle die. They had seen hailstones fall from heaven. They had just seen the death angel pass over their homes while enacting judgment on the nation of Egypt. But they still were skeptical. I know, God, you can do amazing things there. But can you do amazing things in my life right now? Fear doesn't only make us skeptical, but fear causes us to be selfish. If you've been to the grocery store, you know exactly what I mean. For some reason, we got the idea that in this pandemic, we needed toilet paper, right? I hope you guys are all well stocked on toilet paper. Um, but if you aren't, you're not going to get any at the store I went there last night and still every toilet paper product in the, in the shelves at the store are empty because fear makes us selfish. We want to grab things for ourselves. We want to take care of ourselves first. Children of Israel face that as well. In fact, in this moment, they, in verse number 11, we, we see this kind of continued. It says they turned against Moses and they complained and they said, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? They turned against the very person who had well advanced in years, gone and pled their case in front of a ruler. The very man that had been God's advocate to bring them freedom, they now saw as their enemy. We have to be careful that in a season like we are in, that we don't become too self-focused. The truth is, church, there are a lot of people out there right now 
who need to have some kind of contact with us. And while we want to be careful and safe, we don't want to spread disease, and we know all the protocols. I'm not going to go into that with you this morning because you know it better than I do probably. The truth is, is that there are a lot of people who are shut in their homes that are desperate and lonely and maybe could really use a text, a phone call, an encouraging word in their inbox. And you can do that. Let's not become so self-focused that we fail to see that this is an opportunity for us to do ministry, maybe in a way we've never done it before, but in a way that may be very, very meaningful. Fear also makes us, for lack of better term, hard-headed. Now, the children of Israel, they were notoriously hard-headed, and so am I, and maybe so are you. There's a lot of people in the social media world, you probably saw that this week, that are, that are hard-headed, right? That they're, they're pushing back against things. And sometimes there's a place for that hard head. Sometimes it's exactly what we should be doing. Sometimes, well, sometimes it's not productive at all. In this case, as we read through here in, in Exodus 14 and verse number 12, they asked one of the craziest questions. They said, didn't we tell you to leave us alone while we were still in Egypt? <laughs> didn't we tell you when you came and kind of disturbed our norm that we would rather be slaves than free? Now you think about that for a moment. That makes no sense. Moses went because as God told him at the burning bush, I have heard the cries of my people. The oppression cries out to me. They had been for, for years crying out that God would somehow rescue them in this situation. But here they are in a place of fear and they're hard-headed. They said, we'd just rather be slaves than be out here. And of course they wouldn't. But that hard head was getting in their way. You know what, guys? Fear, fear keeps us from growing. What they were really saying to Moses is, hey, Moses, don't rock our boat. Don't upset the status quo. Moses, we've always done it this way before. And let me tell you, as a church leader this week, I have talked to a ton of church leaders. And all of us have a little bit of this kind of in us right now. Our boat was rocked, right? We're used to, as Christians, gathering together on Sunday and having that personal contact and enjoying a song service together, worshiping God with our, with our family around us. And that's not going to happen for the foreseeable future. Our, our status quo has been upset. A lot of us aren't going to work. A lot of us are concerned about, will my job be there? A lot of us are saying, we've never sat around and watched a church service before in our living room with four or five or six other family members with us. This isn't the status quo, and you're right, guys, it's not. Nothing that we're doing right now is what we would normally be doing. But that doesn't mean that God isn't still working. God was still available, still present. In fact, God was going to just about going to do one of the most powerful and amazing miracles of the entire Old Testament. But in this moment, the children of Israel said, we'd rather be back there. You know, fear keeps us from growing. It keeps businesses from growing. It keeps churches from growing. And it keeps us from growing because we become stubborn. Let's not allow this fear to cause us to become stubborn people, but let's allow this to move us in directions that maybe God is leading us. And we'll talk about that in a moment. The fourth thing I've noticed that fear robs us of is it robs us of our vision. Our vision to see that maybe God is working in ways that we really don't anticipate. 
Let me tell you, I don't think there was an Israelite one, including Moses, that really knew what was about to happen here. I don't think anyone was going to guess that in a few moments, the waters of this giant sea would be rolled back, standing tall as pillars on each side, that a mighty wind would blow through that soggy uh, seabed, and that they would be walking across in the midst of a sea on dry ground. There's no one that would have guessed that. You know why? Because they couldn't. God works in ways that are mysterious to us and are bigger than we, well, we could ever imagine. I'm confident, although that I don't know how, I'm confident that God is working in the midst of this season as well. And if we allow fear to take us over, fear robs us of our vision to see where God is working and what God is doing and where he's leading. In the end part of verse number 12, the children of Israel went so far as to say this. They said our Egyptian slavery was far better than dying out here in the wilderness. Truth is, is that God wasn't going to let them die out there in the wilderness. They were about to live through an experience that would be a part of the Israelite lore to this day. An experience that distinguished them from all of their people. A moment in time that would go generations ahead of them. That people would fear the Lord of the Israelites because they walked through the Red Sea. So how can I replace fear with faith? In this season of difficulty, how can I move past this natural kind of knee-jerk reactions and emotions that we all face to get to a place where I can project the faith that my life is built upon, the rock that my foundation is set upon? Well, I think there's a few things that we can do. Number one, Information. You might say, well, information. Yeah, knowing the truth about who Jesus is and what he wants for us. John, the eighth chapter, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament because I've seen over and over again how the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ frees people from all kinds of prisons that they find themselves in. Truth is, when we look at the truth about Jesus, he dealt with far more than what we're dealing with right now. We're dealing with a little isolation, and that's true. But Jesus was not only isolated from all of those that were his family here, but he suffered through a separation from the Father, something that none of us will ever have to experience because he went through that path for us. We are dealing with some pain and discomfort. Maybe some of us are, are possibly carrying this disease. We may walk through the path of having this disease. Jesus dealt with a lot of pain and discomfort, far greater than what we could ever imagine. The book of Hebrews, as we often say, reminds us that we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but he has been tested in every way, just as we have, and is yet without sin. Jesus walked through every trial that life threw at him and never broke the Father's will. John, or Peter, or excuse me, Jesus would go on to say in John 8 and verse 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really 
my disciples. And church, really, that's our job right now. To be Christ in the world that we live in. To be Christ on social media. To be Christ with our neighbors. uh, To be Christ with the people at the grocery store. To consider others more important than ourselves. To do what we can to help others out in a safe and productive way. Knowing who Jesus is and what he has done for us creates a firm foundation. A foundation on which we can really build our lives. You and I both know that in a lot of ways, we've built our lives on a lot of things that aren't very firm. Some of us have built our lives on maybe an occupation or a vocation. Some of us have built our lives on a sport that we love. Some of us have built our lives on our health or our ability to do things. And moments like these challenge all of those foundations. Truth is, guys, that there is no foundation that we can build in this life that is going to be sure except the foundation that Jesus Christ gives us. Proverbs 13 and verse 16 says this, Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. Again, in Proverbs 23 and verse 23, it says, By truth, do not sell it. By wisdom, instruction, and understanding. We've seen the stock market crash. But when you buy truth, when you invest in understanding who Jesus is and what he wants for you, it's something that's valuable not only in this life, but that value is infinite. It will carry with us through eternity. Maybe you're a lot of, like a lot of people and you're, you're suddenly faced with a lot more time than you used to have. And you're like, how should I use this time? Here's an idea. If you've never read through the Gospels, or even if you have, grab your Bible this morning, and, and, or maybe this evening, whenever you have time, go to the book of Mark, or, or read through the book of John. Really start anywhere in one of the Gospels, and just, just read through that. Take this time and use this time to really familiarize yourself with maybe things that you've been thinking about doing for a very, very long time. This is a great opportunity maybe to get into the word in a way that we've never got into it, to know Jesus more personally than you've ever known him before. Let me just pause and say that maybe there's some of us here that are at a place in our lives where we recognize we need Jesus. This past week, we had an opportunity to welcome Erica Earls into the family of God, was baptized here at church. She and David were married, in fact, as well. And I just want you to know that if, if, if you want to be baptized, if you want to sit down and discuss with one of us what it means to become a Christian. We're open to that. We'll set up a table with six feet of different distance or whatever we need to do to make you comfortable. We'll open the word together and we'll discuss that because guys, there's really nothing more important in this world than knowing that you have secured a relationship with Jesus Christ. And times like these remind us of just how important that is. So if you need to, to talk with one of us, there are people that are here. We will talk to you on the phone. We will uh, refill the baptistry fresh for every person if that makes you more comfortable. We want to make sure that if you have a decision to make for Christ, that you make that. And and why not make that this week? The second thing I think is important, we can replace our fear with faith, faith rather, is to evaluate evaluate the cost. Evaluate our lives. We we talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night. I'm going to touch on it just briefly again. But, But becoming a Christian is not just about going to church. It's about investing our lives for the kingdom of heaven. 
Sometimes we don't stop to think that following Christ has a cost. It's going to cost us some time. It's going to cost us some money. It may cost us some of our reputation or our emotional energy. But it's important to consider those things. Once Jesus was talking with the crowd and he was telling them that they were going to become one of his followers, they needed to count the cost. Once a young man came to Jesus and said, hey, I, I want to be, be a right with you, Jesus. What do I do to inherit eternal life? And it says that Jesus loved him and he looked at him and he said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. It tells us that this young man went away sorrowful because he had a lot of things. A week or two ago, we were all kind of like that rich young man, weren't we? We had a lot of stuff that distracted us. A lot of that stuff has been sidelined for a while. What a wonderful time for us to look at our lives, to evaluate our priorities and say, am I really, am I really doing what God's called me to do with my life? Jesus said this in Luke 14, verse 28. He said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Or suppose a king is about to go to a, against another king in war. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming at him with 20,000? What Jesus is really saying right here is kind of just simple. He's saying, following me has, has a cost. We should recognize that he wants to be the number one thing in our life that we're called to seek first the kingdom, to live for him, and then to allow him to worry about all the little things that we need to take care of in life. The third thing that I think we do and do to transform fear into faith is that we begin to make a plan. We prepare. We plan our steps from here. And I really encourage each and every one of you this week to take time and intentionally look at your daily schedule. Some of us are still going to work and, and still have some of those interactions. Some of us have been quarantined in place. Some of us are quarantining ourselves in place because we have health conditions and we know that that's important. But that doesn't mean that we can't still do things to build the kingdom. Proverbs, the 14th chapter, verse 15 says this. It says, the simple believe anything, everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The simple people just kind of run through life and just experience it and live it for what it is. But someone who's wise, someone who's prudent stops and says, what am I doing right here? What does this look like? Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, a heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And there's a couple parts of that verse that I want to share with you uh, quickly. First of all, it says that we should make plans. That's our part, right? It says that, that a man, man, plans his steps. A man looks at his life and says, what is it that God is, that I need to do? But the second thing is, is that God establishes our steps. Together with God to direct us, we accomplish far more. I think this is a great occasion to talk about something that I hope is a part of all of our lives, but may not be. That idea of prayer and preparation. Because really, prayer and preparation go together. There's always a certain amount of things that we've got to do to, to step out and to accomplish what it is that God wants us to accomplish. We'll look at it in a moment. But in a moment, the, 
the, or the uh, Israelites are going to have to take a step of faith to cross the sea. But it begins with going to God in prayer, asking for God's guidance and wisdom and direction, making certain that we're not walking in our own direction, but we're walking in the direction that he's called us to walk. And lastly, move, do something. This week I heard a, Michelle shared with me this beautiful little uh, Facebook interview of a mom with her, or a daughter with her mother. And her mother had this little saying that I thought was very precious. She had told it to her family since they were very small, and that's what she was interviewing her mom about. The saying was simply this, quietly carry on. In every season of life that this woman had dealt with difficulty, anytime the kids had a heartache or a challenging situation, their mom's advice would always be the same. Quietly carry on. She would go on to explain that the reason that she was able to say that is that she had taken care of things with Jesus. She had a faith in Jesus. And that faith in Jesus allowed her to quietly move in the direction that God was calling her. I don't know how about, about you, but one of my favorite parts of circus when I was a kid, and I guess they don't exist anymore, but one of my favorite parts of a circus when I was a kid is the trapeze artist. If you've ever gone to Circus Soleil or some of those, you can see some of these things. Absolutely amazing. And the thing that always, always captivated my attention were the trapeze artists when they would do those swing things. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> where, they, where, they, where they get going and, and, and they, would, they would hang from their knees and then another person would swing through the air letting go of the bar that they were on, trusting the hands of the other trapeze artists to catch them so that they wouldn't fall into certain death or at least a bad accident down below. And I think we, we are amazed by that because as humans, we know just how scary it is to let go and to trust some other to grab onto us and to carry us the rest of the way on that journey. And when we see people do it in orchestrated precision, it's just, it's always entertaining. It's always exciting. The truth is, though, that God asks us to do that same thing with him. The children of Israel, for lack of better phrase on my part, were freaking out. They saw an army. They saw a mountain. They saw a sea. But God, God was about to do something completely unexpected. All they were going to have to do is simply let go and let God lead. You know, I think the most difficult part of taking that risk of letting go and letting God lead us is that we lose control. I think for a lot of people right now, as we begin to kind of set back and look at this situation, we recognize there's a lot of this that we're not in control of. We're not in control of whether or not we get that disease. We're not in control of what happens with the economy. We're not in control of the decisions that are being made by state and government leaders to keep us safe. So many things are out of our control. But all those things are in his control. Church, never forget that no matter how dark this world gets, God is still working and has a plan. And as we close, I want to share with you this simple text in Exodus 14, my favorite part in this whole story, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. So Moses answers back to the people, and he says this, one of the great, great statements of faith that Moses makes, and he makes several of them, but he says, 
Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Pardon me. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will see never again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Church, this is a season where maybe God has put us in a place where we have no choice but to be still. But I am confident that our Heavenly Father is working. I'm praying and I'm confident that this will lead to a revival. I don't know if that's God's plan and that's God's will, but, but I'm praying that that is what happens in this season. Moses was confident. He said, you see these, these Egyptians, you're never going to see them again. God is about to do something that you never imagined. And then in verse 15, the Lord says, Moses, enough talk, right? He says to, to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Stop complaining to me, Moses. Tell the Israelites to move on. It's time to move out. Raise your staff, stretch your hand over the sea, and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Guarantee you something this morning, guys. There was nobody that way back when Moses first showed up in the land of, Israel, land of Egypt thought, now this guy is going to divide the Red Sea. and we're gonna, no, no one imagined that, but God knew it. No one imagined the amazing things that would happen in this story that really for this group of people is just beginning. But God knew. And none of us know what's going to happen in the upcoming weeks and months with church, with our own families and our own lives, with our economy, with our nation, with our world. We don't know those things, but God does. And he's in control. Moses said, don't be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Sometimes being still is a hard thing for me. Maybe it is for you. <laughs> I am kind of a hyper person. I want to fix and go and run and do everything. But sometimes, sometimes it's completely appropriate for us to be still and to allow God to lead to move from a place of reactionary fear to a place of solid faith. As we close, I'm going to read to you Psalms, the 27th chapter. David writes this while he's being chased around by Saul. This is probably the low ebb of David's life, a time when if David felt out of control, this certainly would have been it. Psalms 27, I'll just read it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though the war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me upon a rock. 
Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me and the sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I cry out, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your, your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger for you have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses may rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. But I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Church, right now, we don't have a lot of things that we can do. But I want to challenge you, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. I'm confident that he is doing something amazing. And while we can't gather together in this place together as we are accustomed to doing and as David loved to do, Remember that the Lord no longer dwells in a building that's made with human hands, but when we are baptized into Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and the spirit of the living God dwells within each one of us. Don't you know that you yourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Wherever God is or wherever we are, God is with us. And when we are gathered, even with two or three others, the Bible says, I am present with them in their midst. Each Sunday, as a church family, we gather together to partake in something called the Lord's Supper. A moment of time when we corporately remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And Banks has come this morning to share with us a meditation and to lead us as a corporate family spread around Acadiana and maybe all around the world to just lead us in a moment of time as we gather around this huge table a table that encompasses nations, a table that encompasses uh, people in living rooms all across the world to celebrate in a meal where we remember what Jesus did for every single one of us. His body was broken. His blood was shed for each and every one of us. So once you gather with all of us, a few of us that are gathered here today, and Mr. Banks, as we celebrate this time. <laughs> 